The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to share some thoughts with you from my heart concerning this matter of being free yet enslaved. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 together and, and uh, we'll begin reading, at not, not all the way at verse number 1, uh, but let's begin reading at verse number 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse number 16 we read here, For though I preach the gospel, this is Paul writing, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but rather, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use the words that I will speak to to speak to the hearts and minds of all that are here, to encourage us and to admonish us and to extol us to live for Christ in our life on this earth. Thank you for this time we have now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage of Scripture that I just read, the Apostle Paul is summarizing his arguments in chapter 8. His argument over doing those those things that offend the weaker or younger brothers in Christ. Particularly, he was speaking about the practice of, of purchasing meat that had been offered unto idols. And there was nothing wrong with this. It was good meat. Uh, th- these these um, secular uh, temple worshipers would bring their meat to, the, to offer unto the idols, and, and the, 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 the deceptive priests would turn around and go sell that meat at a, at a reduced cost. And it was, it was thrifty. It was economical. There was nothing necessarily wrong with it. But it, it portrayed, uh, it, it, it exhibited a, a, an appearance that, could offend some people. So Paul admonished that we shouldn't do that. And tonight I would like to just take a few moments as we gather together here to discuss our responsibilities toward our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, toward our fellow Christians. We do have responsibilities, you and I. We have obligations. We have responsibilities to one another. Uh, Sometimes as Christians we tend to forget that. We tend, to, we tend to want to rest upon our liberties and our rights and our freedoms. And we forget about how our life can and often does affect those around us. So I wanted to discuss that tonight. A question was asked once, 
Am I my brother's keeper? How many of you know who asked that question? Any of you know who asked that question? Who was it? Cain. Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the truth of the matter is that I am not my brother's keeper in the sense as if he was my child or he was a child. I'm not my brother's keeper. As a matter of fact, God is responsible for each of us. He is, he is given the charge over us. He is the authority over us. So I'm not my brother's keeper in the sense that Cain was speaking about. In other words, if you have children or if you had children and they've grown, you were their keeper. Uh, it was your responsibility. And, and if you have children now, it is your responsibility to know where they are, to know what they are doing, and, and these types of things. So in this sense... Uh, I am not your keeper tonight. I am not your authority tonight. However, in the sense that Paul is referencing in his letter to the Corinthians, while I am not responsible to know or control where you are or what you are doing, it is very important that we each understand that we are responsible to ensure that we are living and conducting our lives in such a manner that we would not offend another brother or sister in Christ and that we would not empower them to do wrong also. Each one of us have that, that sense of responsibility tonight. And this is what Paul is talking about uh, when in verse number um, 19 he said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. This could mean, of course, when Paul says this, could mean that by virtue of his apostleship, he has none superior to him in the spiritual sense. He could be referencing this to the, to the fact that I, uh, though I be free from all men. I'm, in other words, he could be saying, I'm an apostle, and I'm at the top of the ladder, and I'm not responsible to any, any man. But I don't think that gives a sense to the, to the text of the Scripture. That would seem to be of no value to those to whom he is writing. Because all of these, in the spiritual sense, are subject to other authorities. Just as you and I, we're subject to the authorities of, of, the, of the pastor in the church, and, and, and he is our leader, and he is our spiritual guide. And so that would be of no value to, to me to say I'm free from, from all men by virtue of my status or my position. Therefore, we cannot exercise that type of freedom. But what seems to be more applicable here in this passage of Scripture, is the sense that Paul is stating that he has liberty by virtue of his salvation in Christ the Lord. In other words, he says, though I be free from, from all men, I, I believe he's saying I'm not under, first of all, he is free from the curse of the moral law. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And I believe that first thing Paul is trying to make us understand is that we are free from the curse of the moral law. The same is true tonight for you and me. The moral law was a teacher, a schoolmaster, as the Scripture states in, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. We read, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, 
that we might be justified by faith. Over the years, I, I, I taught high school students in our school here. I taught them algebra. I taught them language arts. I taught them history. I taught them science. And I was their schoolmaster. I was, my purpose was to help them learn truth, to, 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 to instruct them, to educate them, to, to show them how to find truth and these sorts of things. And children need schoolmasters, right? That's why we send our children to school, so that they can have someone that will, that will teach them and, and instruct them. And that's what the law is to you and to me. The law is a schoolmaster. It instructs us in, in righteousness. It, it, it reveals to us truth. Its purpose is to educate me to my sin, to teach me that I am incapable of keeping God's moral law. It will bring me to Christ, the place where I will be justified by faith in him and his sacrifice. So Paul states, I believe, first of all, Paul is stating here that he's free from the curse of the moral law. But then secondly, I believe that he is letting us know that he is free from the yoke of the ceremonial law. This is all the do's and don'ts of the self-righteous effort of men to be holy. There's lists of them, long lists of, of what, what's called standards. Huh? How many of you have ever been involved in a, in a church where there were a list of standards? Well, I sure was. And, and those standards can sometimes be difficult to keep. And if you don't keep them, you get, you get treated pretty poorly. And this is what Paul is talking about when he talks about he's free. Now, there are definitely things that we should do. And there are definitely things we should not do. However, we do them or we do not do them, not because we are trying to make ourselves holy by our actions or our deeds. Rather, we do them because we are constrained to do them by Christ Jesus our Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which died for them, unto him which died for them and rose again. So yes, Paul is free from the standards of acceptable living to conform to the expectations of the church. Yet despite this freedom, Paul is in fact enslaved by what we will call, what I will call the principles of grace. So we see here tonight that Paul was indeed free. He was free from the curse of the law. He was free from the power and authority of the law. He was free from the from the yoke of the ceremonial law and, the, and, the, and, and from the um, uh, unjust and un, un, unrighteous expectations of, of the ceremonial law. But Paul was enslaved. He was enslaved to a greater truth. He was enslaved to greater laws, if you will, the principles of grace. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, we read, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So Paul declares here that he is free from all of these man-made rules. He's free from all of these man-made regulations. He, he's free from the, 
from these bondages that he was in before. He's free from the law of sin and death. He is free from the yoke of the ceremonial law. So then how do we reconcile his next statement? For his next statement is, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. So Paul then is answerable to no man. He is under no obligation to conform to the expectations of of any religious rituals. He is not subject to the flesh, nor its lusts. In Galatians 5.1, we read, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's free from all of this. He can walk away from all of this and live his life in total liberty. But instead, he chooses to enslave himself in love and service to his fellow Christian. And Paul's actions here tonight, I want to state, are not self-serving. They are not self-gratifying. His actions here are the evidence of the overwhelming power and effect of the Holy Spirit dwelling within himself. These actions by Paul, this decision by Paul to, 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 to the, though he be free from all men, to make himself servant unto all, this action epitomizes being filled with the Spirit of God. The pastor spoke last Sunday evening about being filled with the Spirit of God. I grow weary over the years of hearing in great conferences, hearing men talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit like, like it's drinking a magic potion. Like you just walk over here and you, you grab a glass of Holy Spirit juice and you drink it and da-da-da, I'm filled now, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not, is not some instantaneous superpower. It's a, it's a culmination of a, of a disciplined life lived in, in honor and respect and to the glory of God the Father. It's, it's practices we learn. It's truth we learn over time. And this is a, the true filling of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's life uh, on the road to Damascus, he, he, he was seeking Christians to destroy them. And the Lord Jesus came into his life. And if you follow the scripture closely, Paul went away for a time and he listened to preaching and he prayed and he learned and he was taught. And he developed, he developed uh, these, these, these actions in his life by prayer and, and by discipline and by, changing, by, by the changed life that he had within him. But Paul truly epitomizes the spirit-filled life in his love and in his compassion for his fellow man. I grow weary today of our, of our Christian nation who has little to no commitment to God, to his church, or to God's people. I tell you what, there's no other place a Christian ought to be on Sunday than in the house of the Lord. Sometimes I, 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 I wonder, where are people? Tonight, I wonder, where are people? Now, if, you're, if your mother lives hours away and you have to travel to see her, I can understand that. But in most cases, I'm, I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just people say, well, I did my duty this morning. I, I, I went to church and did my duty. Now I'm going to take the night off. But the apostles met in the morning and the evening on the Lord's day. And so should we. Amen? 
I grow weary of Christians who have no commitment to the Lord in their life and, and, and find anything and everything else that will, will, will take them away from, from, from the church and from the Lord. As I said, these actions epitomize being filled with the Spirit of God. Galatians tells us in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, and I want you to note that word fruit is singular. You don't just, if you're, if you're, if you're a Spirit-feared Christian, you don't just have part of these, you have all of them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. That's right. There is no law against this type of behavior. Though men may despise you for behaving thusly, there can be now accusations against one who lives in such a manner. This was the case of, of Daniel. Think about the prophet Daniel for a moment. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we read, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Daniel's behavior was so upright before men, They could find no fault in him. He was an honest man. Daniel never lied. He never stole. He never cheated. You know, Daniel's one of the few men in Scripture that the Bible clearly states there was no fault in him. Now, we, we all know Daniel was a sinner, of course, for all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in, in this case, in this sense we're talking about, Daniel was an upright man. Conversely, without the filling of the Holy Spirit, in his life, he would not have been. He would have been subject to the same lusts and the same controls of the flesh that these, that these other presidents and princes were, were, were controlled by. Paul chose to enslave himself to those around him because he was a man who lived in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Paul did not seek his own self, self-righteousness. He did not seek to gratify himself. Paul sacrificed his, his, his wants, his wishes, his desires. Paul gave up everything, everything to serve the Lord with his life. We read in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, well, Paul writes, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You say, yeah, Brother Dalton, that was Paul. That was the Apostle Paul. God doesn't expect all of me, all of us to do that. He didn't expect me to, to be like Paul, does he? I mean, come on. I'm not, I'm, I couldn't possibly be as great as the Apostle Paul. Well, stop using that excuse to appease your guilty conscience before the Lord. 
Because in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul wrote these words, I believe he did in the book of Romans, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Christians in Rome. He didn't didn't state this to a pastor's convention. He's not at a preacher's conference and saying, God, you need to present your bodies a living sacrifice. All you pastors, all you preachers out there, all all you deacons need to present your bodies a living. He's talking to the people in the church at Rome. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And he says, we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable. And he goes further to state that is our reasonable service. Let me ask you a question. Why are you alive tonight? What are you here for? Does does God want us to put all of our emphasis and all of our efforts into careers tonight. Now, I believe, I believe that God wants us to work. And I believe he wants us to be as diligent at work as we can. He wants us to be the best employee we can be, honest and hardworking and fair and just. But is that why you are here? What, what is our purpose? We are here to serve, honor, and glorify the Lord. In whatever capacity we can. Maybe it's not filling the pulpit. Maybe it's putting a glass of water on the platform for the speaker on Sunday, which is much appreciated, by the way. I don't see Lou in here, but it's much appreciated. I, I, I tell you what, I notice it when he's, when he's missing, and it's not there. I notice it. I go there sometime after singing some songs, and my throat is dry, and I look at my glass of water in there, and I think, oh, man, some water sure would be nice right now. Even, even if it's not filling the pulpit, but maybe, maybe it's uh, coming in on Saturday afternoon and cleaning out the auditorium and straightening up the pews and aligning the hymn book. Something, maybe it's something like that. You see, we, we assume in life that the only people responsible to serve the Lord and to have their focus on, on serving the Lord are those that are getting paid, like the pastor, or those who are who hold a high office, like the deacons. And for the rest of us, eh, it doesn't really matter. We, we, can go ahead and, we can go ahead and put God on the back burner and focus on making money. Focus on sports. Focus on entertainment. Well, that's not, that wasn't Paul's opinion. That wasn't Paul's attitude. Paul said, though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all. Paul wrote these words under the inspiration, as I said, of the Holy Spirit. Not to a group of seminary students. Not to a pastor's convention. Rather, he wrote these words to people just like you and just like me. So what are we going to do? You know, we we have this training seminar we're going through. We're watching these videos and we're learning how to present the gospel to people around us and how to conduct outreach. 
The pastor has poured his heart out to us over the past several months about the need for evangelism in our church and the need to, to, to reach others for Christ. Let me ask you a question. What good is it all going to do if we don't have a servant's heart? What good is it going to be to learn all these great things if all we're going to do when it's over is continue to live our lives for our own self and, and, and in pursuit of our own agendas? If a group of us, if a, if a number of us in this church are not going to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of the ministry in this place, all we're going to be is a bunch of people who know how to do what we ought to do but not doing it. Paul said, I become a Jew to the Jews. I become, I become as one under the law to those under the law. I become, as, I become as one without law to those that are without the law. He said, I become all things to all men so that I might save some. Paul said, I'm going to, I'm going to yield myself, body, soul, and spirit to the work of the ministry, to those that, I, that, that God brings to my life to serve them and to love them and to show compassion to them and to, to dedicate my heart and mind and, and, and work to them that I might reach some of them for Christ. All of us, every one of us. Now let me give you a list of things. You've got, you got some lines on your paper there. I just want to remind us of some things and I'll be done. It's going to be a short message tonight. It's a record for me. All of us, everyone, you and you and you and you and you and you and me. Let me remind you, first, we have been set free. We've been set free tonight. Free from the, free from the, from the, the law. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to obey the law and we don't have to keep the law. But we've been, we've been set free from the curse of the law, as I stated earlier. We have been given liberty. We've been given liberty. We no longer live under the rule of sin and under the dominion of the flesh. We are not bound by the laws of sin and death. Death death has no power over us. Oh, I'm going to physically die, but I will never spiritually die. I I will never taste the horror and torments of death. Death has no power over us. The grave will never hold us. Now your flesh may lay in a grave and rot, but your spirit, your soul will be forever with the Lord. There's great comfort in that, amen? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. How feeble are we in our love? Someone gets us mad. Do we continue to love them? If someone wrongs us, Huh? But we can never love, nothing can ever separate us, Scripture tells us, from the love of Christ. We will not be forgotten. We will not be forgotten. God will never forget us. He'll never forsake us. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us, or not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God will not forget us. He will not forsake us. He won't be sitting up in heaven one day and say, Oh, Jorge, did anybody see Jorge? Did we forget Jorge at the rapture? Gabriel, run down there and get Jorge. God doesn't do that. He'll never forget. Oh, we forget, though, don't we? How, how, how often and how fast do we forget God? 
Huh? In our busy lives, we forget about God. And any of us who will sit here and say, I never forget about God, you're a liar. I'm sorry, but I have to say it the way it is. Because we all do that. There have been times in my life when I've come to my senses and woke up and said, what in the world am I doing? I'm a child of God. We forget about him, but he will never forget us. We will live forever in the presence of the Lord. Wow, that's so special. I, I can't even imagine that. Forever in the presence of the Lord. I can't wait. I love my grandson. I love him to death. I love both my grandsons. I want to state that clearly. But I just love having Corey Jr. around. I love, I, his presence near me gives me comfort and joy. And just imagine what it's going to be like to forever be in the presence of the Lord. Of course, we are in the presence of the Lord, amen? But I mean, I mean literally in the presence of the Lord. And then we will dwell in the heavenly Jerusalem. Talk about moving uptown. Huh? I'm gonna, Tabor's going to be my neighbor. I don't know about that. I may, I may request a better section of the New Jerusalem. I'm not sure. But we will live, dwell in heavenly Jerusalem. So every one of us have these great things to, to, to hold on to, the great benefits of, of being a child of God. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. And we do have obligations tonight. I want to share a few of those with you, and then we'll be done. We do have obligations tonight. First, let me say we have an obligation to live our lives to the glory of the Father. You owe it to the Lord. You've been purchased. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. And you have an obligation to live your life to the glory of God the Father. Not not fulfilling your own desires and your own pleasures. Not pleasing yourself, but pleasing Him. And let me tell you something. I found in the last 33 years that pleasing God does please, my, does please me as well. We have an obligation to live our lives to the glory of the Father. You can't, you can't decide what you want to do. You don't have that right. And if what you want to do does not glorify the Father, then you have no business doing it. We have an obligation next to love and pray for our fellow man. When's the last time you prayed for your brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, really prayed for them. When's the last time you got down on your knees and, and asked the Lord to bless a hurting brother or a hurting sister in Christ? When's the last time you got down on your knees and asked God to, to bless all the families in our church and every, every, every believer in, in our congregation that God would, would give them comfort and peace and supply their needs and meet their, their desires of their heart? That's what we need to do. We have an obligation to pray for one another. We have an obligation to live our life as a living example. We have, an, we have an obligation to live honest, decent, moral, upstanding lives. We shouldn't be the type of people that tell tainted jokes or, or write things on, on, on Internet communiques that, that would dishonor the name of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't have that right. We have an obligation to be an example to everyone around us, to our children, to the lost in our community, to our fellow, to our, our fellow employees who are not saved and need to see 
someone who, who loves the Lord and honors Christ in their life. We have an obligation to be mindful of the needs of those around us. Oh, we're happy when God meets our needs and when God gives us everything we need and we become, we become comfortable and we become, we become satisfied. But what about those around us? Do we have, do, are there those around us that have needs? And do we have the ability to meet those needs? Then let us do it. That's the, that's the love. That's the brotherly kindness that God wants us to show. Jesus said, if you love one another, men will know you are my disciples by this. We have an obligation to be a good example in word and in truth, and I've already discussed that. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. We need to learn to, we need, we need to, learn to be an example in, in every aspect of our lives. And I, I'm not trying to set myself up an example tonight, but in the, in the past 33 years I've been in the ministry, I have done everything I can to make sure that I set a good example before the people in our church, before my own children. We have an obligation tonight to make sure that everything we do or say does not offend anyone around us. We have a lot of obligations tonight. And we have a lot of responsibility tonight. You see, I'm free tonight. I'm free from, as I said, from the curse of the law. I'm free from the, from the, the consequences of sin and death. I'm free from all those things. I've been given liberty in Christ. I'm free tonight. But as Paul stated, I've chosen to be enslaved tonight. I've chosen to make myself subject to all these things that are, are right in God's sight. So that by these things, we might be a blessing to one another. That we might effectively do the work of the ministry here in Roner Park. There are lots of people tonight playing church. Plenty of, plenty of church players. But what, what Sonoma County needs, what Ronan Park and Katati and Santa Rosa, Sebastopol, even Healdsburg, what it all needs is a group of people who are totally committed and dedicated to living for God in their lives. Who love the Lord, who are, who are carrying the gospel forth into the world. We need to be enslaved to the work of Christ. Otherwise, all these, all these things we're doing is to no avail. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get everybody excited and puffed up for a little while, and it'll all be great. But then one day it'll all just stop, and we'll go on to the next thing. Paul said, though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. What about you tonight? Are you really committed in your heart and mind to serving the Lord? This is all that really matters. And I, I don't think I'm the most popular guy for saying it, and I've, I've said it and said it, but I don't care how much money you have. John does, but I don't. 
I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how big a house you have. I don't care how many cars you drive. I don't care how important you are on your job. What I care about is this. Are you living for God in your life? Are you glorifying him in your life? Because if you're not, then you're just wasting your time. Vanity, all is vanity, said Solomon. All is vanity. All the pursuits of life, all the pursuits of the world. We brought nothing into this life with us and we're taking nothing out. Paul says. Therefore, have, let us be content with food and raiment and let us live our lives to the glory and the honor of the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. Lord, there are so many things that need to be done, so many things that need to be said. And Lord, uh, we are just men. We, we don't have the wisdom or the knowledge to, to, to impart these great, wonderful things, but your Holy Spirit can. Your Spirit can speak to our hearts. Your Spirit can work in our hearts. And Father, I pray that each of us here tonight would have a, a desire in our heart, as Paul did, to say, though I be free from all men, I make myself servant unto all. Help us tonight, Lord, to, to have a true desire to be witnesses for you. But Lord, without a life that emulates Christ, without a life that, that gives testimony of your great love and, and power, Lord, we, we can't be an effective witness. We have children in this church that need to be, need to be raised and encouraged to, to, to carry forth the, the truth into the next generation. But, but Lord, unless, unless we set the example, unless, unless we dedicate ourselves to the, to the teaching of these things now, they, they'll, they'll never carry it forward. So it's up to us. So, Father, I can't speak for anyone in this room but me, but I yield myself to you. I give you all that I have. As Paul said, I... I sacrifice all things for the glory and honor of serving Christ. Thank you for this night, and thank you for this people that are here. And I pray that you would bless us and use this time to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.